substance equals spin The propagandas win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to 1 of 200 the independent politics and media podcast. Wow, what a lineup we have for you this morning. We have four co-hosts. I'm blown away. What is the date? Is it February yet? It's not. It's still January. My God, we are in for a treat. Uh, I'm joined by how do I how do I refer to different co-hosts now? I'm joined by Philip Nanistad, my co-founder. How's it going, Philip? Good morning. Uh, it's going well. I'm tired and alive, as per usual. It's good to be back. And good to see the new shiny, shiny new faces in the trap. Wow, that doesn't sound ominous at all. Uh, one of those shiny new faces. Uh, well, not so new. Returning guest, um, co-host uh, Finlay. How how you doing? Uh, kia ora. Yeah, I am good. That was a longer pause that I meant, but yeah, good. Well, you can't you can't time your introductory questions to coincide with people taking a sip of coffee. I absolutely can, and I will. <laughs> I absolutely can. Rude, I will. It's one of the few rude ass introductory timing. Look, look, I That's need a wheel of power. I have. <laughs> it's bad podcasting. It's bad audio hygiene. Um, but I'm going to lean into it. Um, and to school me on that, uh, we also have <laughs> returning guest uh, from Go Hunt or Go Home, Simon. How you doing? Kia ora and welcome to me on one of 200. Uh, I'm, um, I am Simon, as you've heard. Um, they they made a mix up at the Podcast Factory. Again, they're firing your ass on Factory Twitter. And I unfortunately am on one of 200 when a more qualified person should be. I just got back from like a month long trip to the United States with people that I love and who love me. So I stepped off to Hui about two days ago and said, fuck, I'm in Hamilton again. So that's and how I'm doing. Look. Um, I'm glad you can be here with people that you hate um, to talk about things that you hate. So much stuff happening in in politics. And uh, I mean, I, I don't even know about talking about the media uh, in this day and age. Stuff is happening in the media, but it's mostly just a shallow reflection of what's happening in current events. But yeah, like definitely coming back to a packed schedule uh, in, in New Zealand politics. But... The first thing to talk about is the International Court of Justice ruling that came out uh, overnight in New Zealand, which was good, I think. I was a little bit worried. I was a little bit worried that the powers that be would finally say, fuck the rules-based international order, we're done. Like, we're, we're done with this theatre uh, and and just give up um, and and rule that Israel was fine um, and they could do whatever they wanted, but that that hasn't been what's happened. Instead, like overwhelmingly, like there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff, uh, you know, in the last few weeks where people were trying to count the votes off, like saying, oh, this this person is definitely going to vote in Israel's favor, and just fucking none of them did. Like every single vote was uh, fifteen to two or sixteen to one, um, and there's one judge who just voted against everything uh, just for funsies, I guess, and then there's some other. But, you know, there's an Israeli representative on there as well. But even, I think, some of those judgments, they voted for too. And I, I think it stopped short of claiming that Israel was doing a genocide, although it implied it incredibly heavily. Uh, and it also stopped short of uh, ordering a ceasefire as an interim measure. But, God, it's good to, like, have the RBIO, like, even slightly on the side of justice. 
still like years and years of deliberations to occur uh, in this in this case. Uh, so this was an interim ruling uh, because they found it plausible that some of the actions Israel was undertaking could constitute genocide. So they're like, hey, maybe stop those actions. Who yeah. else has read this this morning? I mean, I think that's the most important thing, right, is the fact that they recognize both the urgency that they need to address this with and the like the importance and the the danger of the kind of situation that they're in so you know these these forums are like necessarily quite conservative like small c conservative right like they they don't want to do something that's seen as outside the the norms of the rules-based international order or what have you but i think i think people like to to your point about people kind of predicting what different paths the different judges would go down i think people do over prescribe in an international law context based on nationality which decisions judges will make like if you if you think about the demographics that these nerds come from the fact that someone's from america isn't the most important thing about them right the it's not the supreme court right it's not the u.s supreme what court it is, right exactly exactly i think like international law is a different forum from like domestic law in as much as if you're the kind of person who's actively decided to make a tenth as much money as you could if you stayed in the country of origin then you're not the kind of person who's necessarily going to make the same decisions as somebody from those forums so like there, there are still massive political ties obviously to the country of of origin and like i've already seen there's a bit of debate about the the judge from was it congo uganda uganda who yeah obviously there's like massive aid issues at stake and like ties right international ties there that are very like key but by the same token there are judges from other places that you would expect that to be the case from who haven't made those movements so i think like people do over prescribe that kind of stuff sometimes and it's 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 kind of a get out clause i think to try to go oh it's this it's it's trying to make it into a demographic argument when often they do have like coherent and incorrect reasons for their for their reasoning right so it's it's interesting to see like obviously israel doesn't really give a shit right they it's they don't need the majority of international law scholars to be on their side because they never have been <laughs> for the last 30 years plus so like it's not that this isn't the forum where they make or break their their choices but you, you're right like it's it's nice to have kind of the liberal intelligentsia i suppose like at some level sympathetic to your arguments i do think if people i haven't seen this discourse if people come to the idea of the icj not to say that it is some kind of bastion of, of liberalism or perhaps, you know, we can criticize liberalism because we're leftists. Uh, but if people are coming to it with the idea that uh, there wasn't going to be relief found at it for the reason that it is an international body, I, I see this this take I can, I can see coming from people who have no idea what they're talking about because, sorry, that's a bit harsh, because... I think I mentioned this last time in the Nicaragua against the United States case, almost unanimously the ICJ ruled against the United States to the extent that the US just withdrew from the ICJ and was like, no, your jurisdiction doesn't apply to us. International law isn't real. People forget that as well, as well as the fact that the Hague Invasion Act means that, that uh, if anybody from the US who is an official like an executive like the president is in, indicted and, and brought to the Hague under the ICC, the International Criminal Court, the US will invade the Netherlands. Um, it is a, a pariah state, effectively, especially on the cases of Cuba and the case of Israel. Um, and I do think regarding country of origin that to some extent that is kind of true. Like if we take the Nicaragua case in 1986, um, when the Sandinistas um, were first in power then, 
that the only judge to side with the United States in that case was the American judge. Um, and this is this is the case throughout uh, the international bodies like the United Nations. So I'm not surprised that this is the case. The other thing is a lot of people not understanding what uh, an international court ruling is. I think you pointed this out quite well, Kyle, that it is an interim order. This is somewhat like an interlocutory um, order, if we might think of it you know, in domestic terms. People know what that is. Um, and it's necessarily the case. I was quite surprised that a ruling was coming so quickly and then I realized it had to be either an advisory opinion or it was an interim order because proving something like genocide is almost always done ex post facto, right? And there are mountains of evidence that need to be examined and come through and tested within a court setting to be able to make that sort of ruling. So it's quite positive that even if you are critical of the ICJ, as I think you know we should be of any international body, that it has come to the party and has said, look, there is a case to answer that South Africa does have standing for this, that we will need to do proper rulings on this. And even though it hasn't in some sense called for a ceasefire in the way that a lot of people understand it, it has said that uh, Israel cannot do anything from this point, which would constitute genocide, which seems like a tautology and it kind of is, but it is a bit of a slap on the wrist in the meantime. And unfortunately, the enforcement mechanisms, I think, are the, the reason why we split with liberals on this matter, right? That if you look at the ICJ rulings, they can say this is the case and this is our understanding of the law as it applies to the, the factual situation on the ground but then any enforcement of that has to be done through the organ of the security council if uh, say troops are to, to be committed unless you do the uniting for peace resolution or something like that as in the case of the korean war but that's not going to happen because of the veto as any model un kid knows uh there are permanent five members and one of those is the united states and if u.s interests are threatened at all in any which way they're just going to veto any action and it's highly unlikely that anything will happen but this is kind of important for convincing people who are not already uh who don't already have a kind of understanding of the international system as what it is if they don't have a material understanding if they don't have a realistic understanding of how states operate of how hegemony works you can point to something that they uphold like the courts and be like look the, the icj has said this and the rulings are only going to get more concrete as we go forward the court has ruled before on this um not exactly this exact matter um but the advisory opinion on the wall when it was first constructed in gaza and was like no that you can't do this um our advisory opinion although it didn't you know result in anything concrete that's not a pun on the wall by the way uh was that uh it was in violation of international law and this has long been the case through the un that because israel was in part something that was kind of sanctioned by the un it's one of the few states that kind of is um the UN has had a lot to say about Israel, and most of what it has said is like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, and I think there was like really early, I don't know if warning signs is the right term, but Israel right from the start was like, okay, you bring us to the court, it doesn't matter. Like, we're just not going to do anything about it. And then the US, I think one of their spokespeople was caught on the stand uh, last week, just absolutely mangling an answer as to whether or not the US would stand by the ICJ ruling. Um, what an idiot. Finn, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I guess we reach, we've reached the point that we reach kind of, you know, all the time where like, okay, this is against international law and now what? Particularly because usually what seems to happen is if the states don't like the country that's doing it, then something will happen. Um, but if they're supporting it or if it's the states themselves, we kind of, yeah, it sort of feels like there's a bit of a, yeah, it's just vetoed and kind of ignored um, and erased. And 
there's definitely a risk that that will happen. I think, though, it's felt like this is a real moment of, like, chipping away at people's belief in, like, empire and, like, what the state actually stands for and that sort of thing. And this is a very, very clear case of genocide that I think most people have. I mean, most people in the world can see and have seen before this. Um, and that's why, you know, millions and millions of people have been marching all over the world every week. And I think, yeah, ignoring the ruling, um, which Israel is, you know, I think the defense minister was tweeting hag schmag this morning and that sort of thing. Like, they're blatantly ignoring it um, and they don't care. And I wouldn't be surprised if the states take the same, um, the same line, basically. And it'll be, I think that kind of, trying to think of the word, but it highlights, I think, a lot of the lies um, and like propaganda, I guess, that we've had about, you know, defenders of peace and freedom, um, which I'm going to assume that anyone listening to this podcast doesn't believe that the United States is a bastion of peace. What are you talking um, about? It's a shining light <laughs> on a hill, Finley. <laughs> but, you know, Haven't you read Samantha Powell's book? <laughs> I would hope that, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Winston Peters has said that, okay, we'll has at least acknowledged the ruling, but I don't know what that will mean. I don't know that we're, I guess I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I don't know if we will pull out of um, what's happening in the Red Sea. Uh, we should, but I don't know if we will do, I guess, the right thing or if we will follow a dying empire in its death throes. Uh, it's option B. Uh, spoiler <laughs> option B. For those of you who are uh, following along until this point. Yeah, for those of you. <laughs> the um, real heads. Turn to page 47. It's, it's option B. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty, it's pretty clear what option we've chosen, and it's not the <laughs> good one. Um, because like has as has always been the case with international law there are enough shades of gray that power dynamics are deliberately elided to use carl's favorite word um because that's how the system has been structured right so <laughs> like to not to get too cynical about it but look at every fucking outcome of the so-called rules-based international order over the last 60 years like of course that's the case right America, the US doesn't have to react to the ICJ ruling in the same way as Israel does. Finlay. Like they don't, they don't need to have a comparable result because states mm. aren't aren't equal in the real world, right? So Israel is going to have to react and but they can be as cynical as they like because they're supported by the big boys. So, you know, they don't they don't have to be a good a good player, but the US doesn't even have to respond. They can do literally nothing. They can, they can just pretend the ICJ doesn't exist as they often do. And they're, they're sort of right, right? So when the US is cynically talking about like, um, as Simon said, like, you know, international law kind of isn't real. That's in a sense, that's true, right? In a materialist sense, that's kind of accurate. The problem is that domestic law also isn't real, right? It's also a construct. So they, they're not willing to go there, you know, that, they're not willing to talk about, well, you know, actually none of these power dynamics have any kind of material basis. And it's just based on who happens to have the most power at the, at the right time and who's backed by whatever forces. But of, of course, they're going to say, you know, oh, and annoyingly, most people in the world don't like what we're doing. So it's very frustrating that we can't do a genocide when we want and stop other people doing a genocide when we don't want. 
Um, yeah, th- th- there's no consistency to these things, right? Hence the kind of hypocrisies of international liberalism. Possibly the main thing, you know, I've been saying this in the last couple of weeks, but it just adds to the pile. And you mentioned as well, Finley. It's one of those inflection points where people start to go, oh, wait a fucking second. We've already seen a lot of people in liberal camps, you know, very, very liberal leftists and very centrist liberals, yada, yada, yada. But a lot of those people are starting to say, wait, that's it's clearly a genocide. And, you know, even before this ruling, and a lot more are going to be saying that now. And, you know, even in polling done end of last year, the, there's a significant minority of people, even in the right wing parties in New Zealand, who supported an immediate ceasefire, you know, and, and it was something like four times the amount of national supporters uh, supported a ceasefire over those who didn't. And then there are a whole bunch of people on the fence as well for the right wing parties and then for the left wing parties you know the numbers go up and the other numbers go down but this is an issue that even in little old new zealand is pretty unifying in terms of what people thought was happening and what people thought should be the response to that Mm. and now there's a a ruling from what is essentially the highest court in the world (laughs) saying they should stop doing these things because it's probably genocide and the one of the i guess signals that this is a watershed at least in terms of opinion and direction here in our horrible little country um you can hear my national pride just <laughs> bleeding out um <laughs> bleeding out on the floor and uh, kyle there's a sale at briscoe's i won't hear you yeah okay okay right national national point. pride is 60 percent off at the moment <laughs> it's cheaper than it's ever been but every single paper was covering this ruling this morning uh, and that is the most coverage that I have seen since this started. Uh, that is what what you'd broadly call anti-Israel, like against the against what Israel is doing. Uh, it was one of the first times I've seen stories about this, which didn't immediately say an IDF spokesman said, you know, like they still have they they're still required to say what the response is. But it's framed up incredibly differently when it's a difference between, you know, some Reuters press pack uh, regurgitation with an embassy spokesperson from Tel Aviv uh, versus this, versus like a, an actual ruling. Um, and it, you just can't. And also, like, <laughs> as we've said, the response from Israel's leaders has been horrific. Yeah. Like it, you, so they're not going to publish that, but as they haven't, you know, they haven't published anything, any of the horrible things that Israeli spokespeople have been saying or doing on TikTok, uh, because that goes against the framing that they've been trying to do. And that that shifted overnight, that that has has changed. The big question for me now is, and we should move on to the next topic, because we're going to be covering this again in midweek, but all all the countries signed up to the Prevention of Genocide Act have an obligation to act against people undertaking genocide. They have a, under international law, we, we have to go and stop them. Like we, mm-hmm. we are required to go and stop them. And the ruling arguably states or, or claims, it heavily implies that Israel is doing a genocide. It's said they need to cease doing these particular things or, or stop doing them, including prosecuting people who have been making genocidal statements within Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they continue to do that that is proof of genocide being undertaken if, if they go and do this if they go and 
like bomb a refugee camp that is that is now that would be considered proof of genocide this is like and what do we do then like what what do people start doing there is a requirement like where we're all breaking international law uh from this point on if we're not active it's, it's beyond taking steps towards a ceasefire at this point it is i think you would be within international law to go and invade Israel to, to put a stop to this now, mm. um, which is wild. And, you know, it's not, this isn't reality. Like this isn't, this isn't in, in terms of the geopolitics and what the U S would do to you. Mm. If you tried to do that, like it, it might not be feasible, but it would be not just morally just as it has been for the last hundred days plus, but it would be legal to do so. Oh, we're sending troops just not there. Two things. One is if you heard the phrase domestic law isn't real and you, like me, have spent a lot of money on a law degree, you are not entitled to compensation. Um, the other thing, yeah, Philip is, Philip is making faces as well. This is an audio medium, honey. Um, the other thing as well is uh, if you're asking about what we should do, uh, yeah, like if the US just withdrew its support of Israel, immediately this would change, right? We all know that. <laughs> what can we do as people? The the structures aren't there, but it's kind of incumbent upon us to build them, I think. I, I think about how during the American Civil War, um, I think somebody's talked about this recently that I've seen as well, uh, textile millers in Manchester, the workers' unions there refused to continue to make cotton that would be shipped off to the American South. This is something that the unions are built for. They're meant to have solidarity across the world, right? Like the end of the Communist Manifesto is workers of the world unite, not workers of Albany or like workers of Helensville or whatever. It's like <laughs> not fast food workers within Manudewa. You know, it's workers of the world unite. You know, we have nothing to lose but our chains. And that's something to, to really consider is to what extent do we need to understand what our labor is going towards within New Zealand if our leaders won't do anything and how do we stymie that and how do we marshal the kind of structured support to be able to do that I think is really critical at this point because it means life or death for people who live in the margins of the third world right mm. speaking on very briefly the we've committed troops to the, <laughs> to to um Oh, no, let's get into this. Let's get into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Oh, okay. No, please, please. No, no, you in. go. You're, you're, you're leading us in. <laughs> so we can't put troops to prevent genocide. But if your treats, if your Easter eggs are endangered, boy, howdy, tactically inbound New Zealand troops. We're going to send in uh, uh, army soldiers to, um, I can't remember. what What is the name of the Gulf again? My geography's terrible. Red Sea. Yeah, yeah. And the Red Sea, um, because... Who are these who are the, the rebel group within Yemen who've been fending off attempted genocide by Saudi Arabia, backed by the US, of course, for the last decade or so, um, have been doing a cool pirate shit for the first time in 300 years and stopping uh, the first world from getting its little treats through shipping and freighting. They've just been taking over these ships, the ones that... Um, are in support of Israel for countries that could pressure Israel and are essentially in solidarity with, with Gazans mm. and with all Palestinians. And that's something that has been really missing from people who live in the cushy first world, right? Um, if I want to use that kind of problematic Cold War framing, which I keep coming back to. But yeah, this is something where New Zealand has apparently done this without any public discussion. This is something that the national-led government has just has just committed. 
And it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, only six troops or something like that. But nevertheless, yeah. that is military intervention, right? There's been no public discussion on this. Parliament hasn't talked about this. We don't have the sort of constitution like the United States where, you know, we could go before the courts and there is an explicit clause being, you know, violated. But there is a real constitutional norm in New Zealand that if you put military uh, troops somewhere, if we give military aid somewhere, if we're giving materially, like putting quote unquote New Zealander lives at risk, which is what putting boots on the ground is, right? That there is actual discussion about it, that there is some sort of cross-party support about it because this is a national venture. It's not just a party-led venture. None of that has been done. So much like the fair pay agreements being scrapped under urgency, which is not what urgency is for, this is a total violation of constitutional norms. National continues to trample on this stuff. And what really gets my goat about it is that none of these academics who were talking about how entrenchment of three waters would be such a terrible thing have actually come to the party and been like, hold on a minute, National is just tearing up this country's like norms and the way that our laws are supposed to operate in concert with each other, none of them. And we know the reason why, because it's in, in the defense of power. It's not in the defense of the powerless. It only goes one way. It only ever goes one way. Yeah. And it was one of these, it was so stupid that the entire, because you never know, started with just like a adding our name um, mm. in support of uh, having, having troops in the Red Sea. You know, and mm -hmm. it started out with that and a bunch of us were like, this is a bad precedent to set. This isn't going anywhere good. And all these fucking nerds came out of the woodwork, all these like horrible little MFAT freaks um, to like, oh, we're not, uh, you make it sound like we're sending troops, but we're actually just uh, supporting it um, with our words. And it's like, you fucking idiots. <laughs> like, and you know, it, it came to pass. It came to pass. Of course this was gonna happen. Like mm -hmm. it was it was very clear that it would end up um potentially in this position. And that was the issue without with us adding our name in support of it in the first place. Because the next thing that the US is gonna do is okay, put some fucking money in the game. Mm -hmm. Um this is this is how they tie people to them as they ensure that your people and systems are connected to their military machine. Like um, it's just it's basic like global power politics, and there seems to be a lack of understanding uh, of that across uh, whatever form our uh, international politics framework takes in this country at this point. But and you know it's not model United Nations kids because and I'm outing myself, uh, <laughs> but we we tend to have a better understanding of how these things work uh, apparently than than the people uh, sitting at the outskirts of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade or the Ministry of Defense uh, being fucking freaks for empire. Um, Kyle in the Model UN closet. <laughs> not anymore. But yeah, like just atrocious. And when they're on the stand uh, talking about it uh, earlier in the week, they just didn't know what they were talking about. No, no it was Luxon, Collins, um, and Winston <laughs> Peters. They just, it was, I, I don't think I've seen like the, a lack of knowledge and capability like so clearly you know and we've had some fucking shockers out there um but from the very top this minister of defense minister of foreign affairs um and the prime minister just completely unable to answer questions uh, about that deployment um or, or what it means or what the consequences of that might be uh and then this claim from winston peters that oh it's got nothing to do with gaza like just and you know just 
I don't, I can't say even if he believes that because there's absolutely no way he believes that. Of course he doesn't believe that. Um, what? Well, look, I, he's... Winnie he's P fucking, would lie? Yeah. But, you know, he's he's a fucking confused guy. Like, I, I don't know. There's a, there's, a, there's a chance that he's been told and that he's taken that on board um, and he believes it in his heart somewhere. But I don't think so. But to, to claim that is obviously, in, and to some extent, in preparation for this ICJ ruling as well. Um, <laughs> because it would immediately put us, make us complicit. If if the New Zealand government said, yes, it is to do with Gaza and we want to like help support Israel, uh, and then that ruling comes out, by your own words, you are complicit in uh, the genocide. Uh, and this was the our government trying to put space between themselves and that that thread uh, very very poorly like there were much there's so many other ways they could have done that and what fuck what was it that christopher luxton said we want to be in lockstep with our allies yeah okay that I and mean, that's just an incredible thing to say given the pride with which new zealanders and, and you know like all the way from the bottom to the top uh, have treated this i guess increasingly false claim that we have an independent foreign policy he, he was just like no we don't we don't have an independent foreign policy. We're we're just in lockstep with our allies, which you know, with the US, because no one else is kind of leading that group. I I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens next week, um, but it's completely untenable. Like something that we could do right now is on the back of this, be like, all right, we're pulling our troops. Like yeah, what a what a huge like mm. slap in the face for the US if little old New Zealand was to do that. That would be that would be the independent foreign policy. That would be the standing up on moral grounds that we mythologize about ourselves. I don't expect them to do it, but the option is there. This is only about the press conference itself, but um, if you want to hear a little joke, my old landlord said the reason he was voting for Luxon is because he looked like a statesman. And I don't know what that means, other than that he is old, white, and a man. But, um, oh, and bald-headed, I suppose. Which he, wears he, he wears suits. He wears suits. Yeah, he was like, ah, oh, Hepkins doesn't look like it. Luxon looks like a statesman in these debates. Um, but what's really, really funny is seeing Luxon just disintegrate every time he's presented with a question. He looked like a scolded schoolboy. Every time a reporter asked him something, he would just, like, meekly look toward Winston Peters in hopes of being saved by the, like, one of the worst people in politics. And, you know... In a really, really heated competition. And as to whether or not Winston Peters believes something, I think that depends on whether or not he's on port or wine at any given moment, right? Like, Look, to, um, to unironically quote Matthew Iglesias... Um, <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> we one billion New Zealanders. <laughs> the, only the only time I will ever say this, probably. Uh, bombing people who disrupt international shipping is, in fact, the core function of the American military. That's true. I, mean, I agree. Like, yeah. I unironically agree with that. Like, flow of capital is the purpose of the American imperial state. And, you know, you have to decide if you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, for one, as a human, think that humans being killed is bad. But, you know, make your own decisions. Think of the make profits, Philip. <laughs> the shareholder value. It's deranged, right? Yeah. It's Fucking deranged. People made jokes about the Easter eggs thing, and then politicians were coming out and saying it, and the newspapers were saying this. What country is this? I had some little shit in my mentions uh, being like, oh, 
because uh, I was posting about the headlines, it's like, oh, the Easter eggs is just a cipher for like goods um coming from overseas. I was like, fuck off. Like, and then yeah, then all the politicians were coming and saying that shit out loud. And you're just like, just like give it up at this point. Anyone who's still doing this shit, just give it up. You're not like on the right side of anything at this point. You you just look like fucking idiots whenever you know the people who actually hold power open their mouths and do something because we've moved past the point where they're even trying to build plausible deniability like we're, we're, we're purely in realist politic right now like it's the world is hurtling towards something and mm. people are acting very materially on the basis of their power relationships with the rest of the world and that's just what it's coming down to at this point and you know like here and there as to whether or not that's always been the case um it, it basically has uh we've just had a fair amount of more kayfabe until this point but yeah just get like get with the fucking picture you're like you're behind the ball if you're trying to kind of dip into the mysticism of the old uh rules-based international order talking points like it, sorry it, it barely exists anymore you know like the the us are not the good guys like liberalism on the world stage does not exist anymore it's yeah go go get fucked like what is actually happening in the Suez Canal has been like completely, I guess, lied about. Like it's not closed. Ships are getting through there. Oh, Goods you have mean been... in the Red Sea? Oh, in the Red Sea. Yeah. Like ships have been getting through there. Like only the Houthi have been targeting specific ships and everything else has been left alone because they've been very clear that this is something that they started because of the genocide that's happening and they are doing it until it stops basically and insurers have pulled insurance for ships so like really like what is disrupting international shipping is sort of the insurance companies right but like we're not going after the insurance companies we're not going after israel which is like actually causing the problem it's yeah it's just i don't know it seems like an excuse to just keep bombing Yemen, as has been. As, you know, Christopher Luxon, as head of fucking in New Zealand, they were providing support for Saudi Arabia to kill people in Yemen. It's just continuing to be, I don't know, fucking evil freaks. Luxon like, just enjoys killing civilians. Yeah. And being party to killing civilians. That's the only, like, conclusion you can come to. Take a defamation case against me, you fucking coward. <laughs> I'm so there. I'm so there for it. Should we just say more shit about Luxon? Ah, uh, he did his kids. Ah, ah. He eats like only mint chocolate from the roses box. I don't know. <laughs> he actually took my roses box and took the mint chocolates from it. Those are the only ones I wanted, sick freak. Luxon only eats the box, actually. He just dumps the chocolates <laughs> out. He just, nah, 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 nah. He's like Pete Buttigieg trying to seem like a human. He's like, this is what people do, right? Humans, hello. Hey, Ron DeSantis, he, he tears it up with his fingers and feeds it into his mouth. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if Luxon talked about himself in third person, like a Japanese school Berlin. girl. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And um, <laughs> I, I hope to never hear those words again. Luxon said twoops to Wetsy. <laughs> <laughs> horrible. Incredibly horrible. Yeah, so I, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I like over the next week or so, I imagine 
New Zealand politicians were just trying to stick it out, if they, especially if they wanted to uh, be acting in lockstep uh, with with US interests. It's going to become really bad for us mm-hmm. to be doing that. I think the other thing, you know, the reason why there are norms around having a conversation in the public and working cross-party on these kind of deployments, you know, as small as it is, is because it also paints a target on us. Um, you know, it's not like a, what do they, what do they always say? Um, it hasn't, uh, destabilized the region yet. Uh, you know, the, uh, war has not spread, uh, to neighboring countries, um, to the extent. Despite Israel trying. Trying um, incredibly hard. Like the restraint from, well, is it, there's restraint and then there's, there's a US yeah. carrier, like just parked nearby. Israel's bombing has bombed like three or four other countries. Um, alongside Gaza, Lebanon, Syria, Yemen. Yeah, greater Israel, Kyle. Well, I mean, this is what they believe in, what they're saying just like on October 6th, right? It's like they yeah. stood up in the UN and held up a picture uh, showing greater Israel. Um, and it's like, we're just taking uh, all these things. I, yeah. I, for one, love the only uh, democracy in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's like a video out um, just... The most moral army. ...yesterday. Um, with some French journalist questioning an IDS spokesperson about, you know, stuff. Um, and the spokesperson, like, gets in their face and is like, democracy shouldn't question other democracies. And you're like, <laughs> well, actually, purpose. actually, that's not what's happening here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, Israel's not a democracy. I want to be very clear about that. It just it just isn't. Um, and, and, you know, if it was a progressive democracy in the Middle East, they would not have the support. Of the United States, mm-hmm. speaking <laughs> historically. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Let's move on to domestic politics, though, which is not as hard. Well, mm. it's it's as horrible in different ways yeah. uh, because we have a incredibly motiv- motivated right wing politic that's being spearheaded by the ACT Party and their outriders um, in the astroturf uh, industry, because uh, it is at this point it's an industry. It's not just a couple of people kind of jumping up and down. And that is the attempt to erase Tetiriti, Owatangi, and rewrite, uh, as David Seymour says, the principles um, as they're considered in legislation. It's horrible shit. It's it's incredibly nasty, racist. No... There's no good interpretation of this. Everything that David Seymour is saying to try and justify it is just a lie. And yesterday it came out that Christopher Luxon, who had said, oh, it's part of the coalition agreement that we have to let them, we have to let them, sorry, we just have to. We just have to let them take this to first reading at least. And then said, oh, but we're not ruling out uh, supporting it at second and third reading and passing it into law. We're not ruling that out either. And then yesterday it came out, he'd given an extra role to David Seymour as Associate Justice Minister, which I imagine comes with a little bit more of a pay package as well, mm-hmm. uh, to oversee the legislation which the National Party is apparently uh, not going to support to second and third reading. And you're like, you fucking monsters. Simon, you were having a chat to me about this yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, David Seymour, I suppose, knowing that uh, he is not going to get <laughs> what he sees as a fair shake by actually going to Marae and going to this hui, um, where he's been invited to say, like, 
give your peace shitballs like try and actually defend yourself in front of people who know what we're talking about um he's refused to do that right he's refused to meet with actual maori right like real human people who this would affect instead is making these little videos he's just made one that's very curious in which he talks about the treaty and i use the english term for it as being between races now this gives his whole game away right because if you know what is it's an agreement or a contractual agreement specifically between two international sovereign bodies about what their governing arrangements are in New Zealand which is to say Māori have a sovereignty because this is their country and New Zealand settlers are subject to the English laws so the whalers can't go around just like randomly killing Māori people they have to actually then face justice that's what it's intended to do right or was intended to do in some sense um at least in part so this is an agreement between, I mean, we, we talk about iwi. I think there's some interesting talk about how like iwi weren't the main governing sovereign sort of arrangements um, for Māori at the time of the 1840s. Um, this is true, mainly hapu were the main sort of social organization, but nevertheless, there you know was that sort of structure in place. Um, so it's an agreement between, it's a multilateral agree- agreement between a lot of different people, a lot of different international internationally recognized um, bodies who who exercise control over their land and and live and have actual political arrangements and the crown which is you know represented by queen victoria she is that kind of metonym right um seymour instead sees that as between being between races and what this tells us is that he sees this as being racial politics he sees the treaty as being an issue with which he can take that kind of white grievance shove a little crowbar in it and start to leverage it not only for votes and not only for power for himself but to kind of enact sort of um uh, a white supremacist invasion of regular ordinary politics which is not to say that the colonial state isn't already in some sense like that but rather it has that kind of genteel civility at the top of it what seymour hopes to do i would read it as is hoping to kind of open those gates a little bit more to try to get these weird little stormfront freaks to run through it so they can be into our ordinary politics and it's working in part because as you say luxon's already gifted this to seymour and therefore we have to conclude that someone who is a fundamentalist like luxon who is a ceo etc etc actually in some part is sympathetic to what seymour is doing um but he's sort of laundering his his dirty um ideas through him um and it's really concerning that there's not going to be any pushback for this because once Seymour starts using that rhetoric and in that video, he starts to talk about different treatment after he's primed people by talking about an agreement, quote unquote, between races, right? He's trying to prime people to read uh, the kind of Pākehā grievance about it and for people to say, oh, Maoris get special treatment with their health authority and so on and so forth and start to kind of try to amp those people up. And what is really concerning about it is that because of the neutrality bias of media, once Seymour starts setting the tone with that rhetoric, the framing, even though it might pull the chain a little bit and say, oh, well, you know, there's some questions around this. Watch as all of the newspapers start adopting his language, which has nothing to do with um, treaty like scholarship has nothing to do with how Tetsiriti actually is. Anybody who knows about it will tell you. It doesn't matter. This is going to be the tone of the debate, and that's what concerns me. And it's straight out of a number of other Western uh, campaigns of this sort. You know, it's this is what has been done in basically every other colonial country at this point. I've been comparing it to Brexit. 
but there's the voice vote. You know, we've had some good coverage uh, from Maori media about how that was used as uh, wedge politic. I think that Luxon went over to the UK and he talked to the people who did the the Brexit campaign. And like we know he did. We 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 absolutely know that he did. Was talking to those people, those think tanks who helped to design and implement this, and they too did it uh, using. Uh, other other political parties, you know, other political vehicles, you know, they created a party called the Brexit Party to to do exactly that. And under the Tories in the UK, it was David Cameron just opening the door, right? He said, oh, we'll have a referendum on it. And that's, then it's up to the, the, the people of um, the United Kingdom to make the decision. But that just gave permission. It gave the platform on, uh, on which this campaign could play out. And that's Mirror, mirror image. I, I just want to be very clear. This isn't like this hasn't come out of nowhere. This isn't based on like a necessarily a a set of uh, a strong set of beliefs. Even I would say uh, it has been designed, uh, and we've seen it running up over the last uh, twenty four months. Now uh, you see people like Julian Batchelor. You saw the Taxpayers Union out on the road doing uh, some of this grievance stuff around Three Waters as well. Uh, Julian Batchelor originally started using the terms like apartheid uh, to describe the state of affairs uh, in New Zealand. And ACT MPs on the campaign trail followed suit. We're using exactly the same language. It's They seeded it. They did roadshows around the entire fucking country. We're, we're talking about this at the time. Like It's very, very clear. Like This stuff doesn't happen. And it's like, oh, just some weirdos just out there doing this stuff. And uh, it's just coincidence that then ACT uses exactly the same framing and language. And it's just coincidence that the media picks up that framing. And then it's just coincidence that Luxon says, oh, yeah, go ahead. We won't give you your, like, the thing that you really want, but we will open the door for you. Uh, And then maybe we'll support it. Just coincidence as well. Just coincidence that all of that looks exactly like what they did in the UK with their wedge campaigns. You know, just coincidence that it looks exactly like what they did in in Australia as well. And just coincidence that Luxon was talking to those people in the UK when he visited them before the the election here in 2023. Like, I just can't, yeah, you can't suspend disbelief, like, any, any further. And, you know, you said, Simon, that the media... You know, they bias, um, neutrality bias or like that faux objectivity. Uh, You know, we talk about um, the both sides framing causing problems uh, for how stuff is reported on because it just gets us like so far from the reality of what's happening on the ground Um, and what's like clearly happening to anyone who's watching it uh, and treats it as just like, oh, it's just someone's uh, opinions. Uh, And and then New Zealanders will just make a decision. Uh, And it's all very you know, uh, above board. Like, it's all very, it's just, it's just democracy in action. Uh, and then David Seymour gets, was like, debate me, bros, but uh, actually I won't. You know, actually I'm a, I'm a little shit and I'm a coward mm-hmm. and I won't, I won't come there and debate you because it would hurt my feelings. Uh, so I'm going to lie uh, and I'm going to make shit up and it's with the intent of dividing, like, New Zealand, causing violence, like, because it will. Uh, and then I'm going to, Blame everyone else who reacts to it. Uh, and I'm going to label them as the ones who are causing violence and sowing division mm-hmm. when it's incredibly clear that that's what the plan has been for the last two years at a minimum. Yeah, I saw a, I don't know if we're supposed to like name drop people, but like a Verity Johnson um, op-ed about, I don't know if I'm even using name drop in the right context. Anyway, about David Seymour and how like, oh, but, we underestimated him because he's so charming. 
And so, like, he's so funny. Um, he's not and, and he's not. Just He's to... not. <laughs> I don't, yeah. And just that everybody underestimated David Seymour because he's got such a charming kind of exterior and we all love him. And it's, I don't know, it's it's hard to kind of respond to because it's so far from the reality that, like, most people live in. Like, I don't think, even people who don't necessarily see David Seymour as, like, actively dangerous. See less. Um, <laughs> which is mostly because I would argue the media say that he's not, and most people don't, like, most people aren't politics nerds, which, you know, I'm happy for them, to Yeah, be which is good, honestly. But, like, the media have had such a strong role in the way that he's been able to just kind of say whatever he wants and be like, oh, you know, it's just me. Oops. Did I say something bad? Um, and he's been pushing this and this kind of rhetoric this, the whole time. I mean, he was being, yeah, a nasty fucking worm the whole time he's been in politics. And the media have kind of pretended that he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And now at least I guess some of them are trying to do this. Oh, whoops, we didn't know. But, you know, they should have known. Like, it's their job to know. And, yeah, they helped him. And they themselves lied to people about what ACT were about and what ACT have been trying to do. And I guess some of them are trying to distance themselves from that. But, like, the rest of us, like, we're actually not that stupid and our memories aren't that short. Um, and it's like with Luxon, like, we aren't stupid enough to believe that he has absolutely no intent to, like, pass this bill. You don't, yeah, you don't open a door when you really don't want something to come through. Absolutely. That's bang on. Don't I? I totally like, I think like, look, I'm the biggest um, quote unquote defender of David <laughs> Seymour on the left. <laughs> and yeah, like the reason for that is that I thought he was playing the media very well. Right. And I think he was. And now we're seeing the outcome of that, which is the media going, oh, fuck. I didn't realize this guy had this whole set of beliefs that he'd been saying out loud mm. in front of you between having brunches, you know, like if you'd done any any like even a modicum of research on his beliefs but they didn't they didn't do that you know the shit is like 101 media 101 and they didn't do it there's you know there there are good journalists who did do actual kind of deep diving research like mark dalder was like skeptical of some of seymour's claims and there's a reason that he didn't spend much time focusing on Seymour's like proposed shit post-election it's because the people who make the decisions about which which articles are go ahead and which ones aren't it's probably not the kind of thing you want to do three months before an election right because the way the trajectory was going it just seemed like maybe that's not the way that the country's interested in right um, the reason that sounds conspiratorial is because it is. It's a conspiracy, and it's fine. It's fine to believe in conspiracies, guys. Uh, not a big deal. And the second thing I wanted to say was, like, I do one thing. I think I disagree, maybe disagree with Kyle with is that, like, I think off the cast, off the cast. <laughs> I think probably Luxon is not as sympathetic to the Titiriti principle re jigger as like it seems like he has to be because that's it is kind of the reality of mmp that you have to pretend you have to kowtow a little to the the dog tail so like i don't know i i have some sympathy to pretending to entertain some shit 
from a minority party. In the same sense as like Labour, uh, Jacinda Ardern pretended to care about poor people briefly when they had to work with the Greens, right? Obviously, they didn't care about them. And there's a reason that shit didn't pass. But in the same way, I think probably National's going to do the same thing, pretending to be a little racist for the first year of their term. Clearly, they are racist, but they're gonna they're gonna do they're gonna like they're gonna virtue signal towards the uh, Stormfront style racism, I think at least for the first year, and then tone it down. That's my that's my theory. We'll see. We'll see. I think if Luxon doesn't agree with that stuff, it's because he doesn't understand it because he doesn't understand anything. So he's very he's very he's a very stupid man. Like it's astonishing. It is honestly incredible how dumb. Like I. <laughs> Has there ever been a stupider prime minister? No. <laughs> Actually not. Actually not. And you know, there are some people like, oh, we can't like, remember when we underestimated John Key? I was like, who? Who underestimated John Key? Like, no, John Key was fucking smart, man. Like, yeah. he, he, he was a marketing genius. Like, honestly, not a good prime minister, but a, he was very fucking good at marketing and sales. Yeah, but Luxon just isn't. And like, there might be people around him who are able to make things happen, but like no he's not smart but at the same time that means he's being controlled it means he's being told to do stuff and he's going to do them and it doesn't matter if you know he doesn't understand uh what david seymour's trying to do um or if he disagrees with it and he thinks that he's um he's going to pull back on it because what's going to happen is that act are going to try and force this to happen. And I've said it before, I think they're going to try and create enough controversy and enough noise that they can start a citizens-initiated referendum mm. um, and push it through that way. And then Luxon um, and his handlers will have put themselves in the position, and I think intentionally, especially from some of his handlers who come straight out of New Zealand Initiative and other groups like that, um, will have put themselves in a position where they're like, oh, I guess we have to because it's the will of the people now. And again, this is exactly what happened with Brexit and The Voice. This is exactly the same roadmap. And that's why I I, I think you should agree with me, Philip. Um, <laughs> Philip's shaking his head. No. Uh, because I, I don't think this is about what people believe or not or, or don't believe necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's about having a political campaign and game plan to make certain cleavages within electoral politics that a reactionary uh, right-wing uh, entity can take advantage of more easily than the left. And I think that's that's all it comes down comes down to. And there are a whole bunch of racists in there as well who mm. just want to do racism. Um, and they're going to get more power from this. You could use these same tactics and get 52% against 48% of New Zealanders to agree that hydrogen dioxide should be banned. You could. <laughs> this is how it works, right? That's all I was going to say. Um, Finlay? Yeah, I think part of the danger is that the general public, um, particularly like the general Pakeha public, don't have a very good understanding. Well, they've been deliberately taught wrong about Te Tiriti o Waitangi and about the Treaty of Waitangi and about the principles. Like the principles as they exist now in law aren't Te Tiriti o Waitangi. They aren't like it's kind of a nod to it but it is also in itself a rewriting of what was actually signed but between the crown and between Rangatira and this is kind of further doing that and um but it's also like they have I guess cleverly picked out words that are actually in Te Tiriti um like you know everybody's you know kind of claiming that everybody in New Zealand is a Rangatira 
and that sort of thing. Which is completely false. Like, and I see all the time in the no. comments, threads of forums and on social media, like, oh, but what did this part of the treaty say? It's like, it was written in the 1840s when the people yeah. of New Zealand were Maori. You fucking yeah. idiots. Yeah. So it's like, they've kind of taken it and completely reinterpreted it in a way that is very clearly wrong. Mm. But I think there are enough people who are like, oh, well, that's sort of the same. And who don't really understand, you know, people who genuinely believe that Māori ceded sovereignty, which is ludicrous. But that is also what we are taught in school. And yeah, I think that that puts us, the starting point for people, I guess, supporting this kind of thing is pretty bad, I guess. Like the status quo is already quite bad. And yeah, I guess there's a, a lot that needs to happen. Um, to Yeah, I think, I think a, a referendum would be dangerous particularly in the way that referendums have been worded and how leading they can be if you want a certain outcome and you know like if we look at the cannabis referendum the millions and millions and millions of dollars that were sent here to support the no campaign mm -hmm. and everybody else scrambling on the ground yeah it's it is it is very dangerous and i think at the same time particularly with you know we've had months and months of people gathering and protesting and organizing and building up solidarity although it is for something else like there's a lot of energy and a lot of momentum that we already have on the ground with people and i think that that you know we also have power even if we don't have the government like i believe hapu are a fishing competition up north yep which is which is great and you know we saw what happened with bullshore and seabed um mm -hmm. and you know, there's a lot of incredible Māori activists and they should have the support of everyone else, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to be very clear to media on this as well. For any of you who are listening, um, or <laughs> to, to everyone else who is, who is uh, consuming it, when media do the both sides thing and don't say in the text, David Seymour incorrectly says or incorrectly mm. interprets the treaty, they are being racist and they are intentionally getting things wrong to frame this as any kind of useful or legitimate debate because he is just outright wrong. Like, he's, he's just mm -hmm. anti-factual. He's not, this is beyond disinformation. This is intentional misleading of the New Zealand public. And what we're going to see, and I really, I really hope we don't, but we are, uh, is you're going to have stuff like this, um, these activist actions from Māori who should be doing that because this isn't a, a political attack on them and, and and it will become an outright attack on them as well like there is a history in new zealand of people firebombing marae they will protest it uh and then the media will say stuff like one side is david seymour and his supporters and one side is maori and that is an intentional framing of this as a racial issue when it's not that at all like there are there are plenty of even liberal pakeha who are not on David Seymour's side in this. This is not Māori versus Pākehā. This is an incorrect interpretation of a legal document to drive racial division. That is all this is from the ACT Party. There, there is nothing else here. And uh, until, you know, the rest of the state gets in on it as well, and then it, it does become that. It it becomes a a racialized attack from, from powerful institutions, powerful white institutions, against the indigenous people of this country and that is like sorry that's what the end fucking result of this is if the media in particular you know 
politicians can mouth off as much as they want, but if media like factually and fairly report on it, they do not get to amplify it to the extent that they need to to move the public. It is like we we need like good journalists and good journalism and media entities who don't want the destabilization of the entire country to come to the fore right now. Like this is this is your fucking moment. Show us what you can actually do. Um, and if you are in within these organizations and not actively fighting against this, you're complicit in white supremacy and racial politics. I'm sorry, but it's time people in this country and people in these industries start fucking standing up and doing something instead of just bending over for their for their leadership to to lick some boots. Yeah. I just like the Gaza stuff has not given me like any hope because we've seen so few people are breaking ranks even Australia and the UK which you know oh Murdoch media <laughs> they have been like getting fired you know they've been walking away from their jobs you know that's hard for them too like you can talk about oh but I've got family to pedia okay like that's bad bad for you but they're writing open letters you know hundreds of Australian journalists coming out against their organizations same in the UK like where in the heart of the evilest you know media empire we don't even have Murdoch here. Um, where where the fuck is your action? You know, what are you doing? We're, are, are we arguing, now worse than Murdoch? They're arguing with you on Twitter, um, <laughs> saying that actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. They're, they're coming and having a cry at me uh, yeah. for, for pointing this out. Um, instead of, you know, having a cry against the people telling them not to report on Gaza, mm-hmm. uh, telling them to remove mentions to genocide from uh, the content they've created they're not they're not complaining uh, to no. leadership they're not leaking they're not um they're not trying to overthrow media structures they're coming and having a, a big old whinge at a when well, you, you said b tier was was being um congratulatory to myself simon so... don't put that on the recording <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll downgrade myself to c tier coming and have an argument with a c tier uh left-wing media personality on twitter instead of fucking doing anything like it's time for you to all step up um or you're not you're just not journalists anymore you you you're a fucking disgrace to to the industry and to the like to journalism as a profession like just you you're nothing anymore you're nobody you you're a mouthpiece uh and you either you either change that very soon uh or we're we're going downhill from this point on and and that's being charitable we've been going downhill for a long fucking time but you could turn it around. I was going to say, if, if these people think that David Seymour is charming, I realize that our tactic should just be to get jingling keys in front of them because that's the <laughs> level of, of brain we're operating <laughs> on for these people. And the other thing is like, they wouldn't have these positions if they had any courage because you have to make constant little compromises all the time. And then suddenly yeah. it's like in for a penny, in for a pound if you're a reporter. I won't call them journalists. They don't deserve that. Um, in New Zealand, I don't know if we have any journalists. Nikki Haga, a couple of those people. People are outside the system, essentially, are the, our only journalists, I would say. Uh, um, I think we've got some good investigative journalists who are working within the system to write very specific stories. Yeah. Um, but then, it's yeah, you have to talk about the creed, right? You've got your little margins, right? Um, I'm, I'm a lot meaner than you are, <laughs> if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, we like to have disagreements on this podcast. <laughs> Um, and, I, and I'm happy to be in the center uh, on this. The only democracy in the Zoom East. Um, <laughs> I, <think laughs> I was going to say, like, if you wanted to look at the parallels, right? Like the Gilded Age, 
through to the Great Depression, that's kind of a really predictable sort of arc. And then out of the Great Depression, you see the rise of fascism. And we've seen like, you know, the neoliberal period has done the same thing, right? Like massive wealth extraction upward into very, very few hands, this great concentration of wealth um, within a few billionaires. Then we're seeing this kind of, we've had a recession. Since then, we've had a long recession. I don't think we've, have we ever actually materially recovered from that? I don't know. Um, because I haven't felt it. None of my friends have ever felt it. Our whole lives we've been poor as shit. Um, and we're seeing the same thing, right? Like it's kind of pat to say, you know, the rise of fascism. But I think sometimes you really do just have to spell it out for people. New Zealand is not an exception. Repeat that on, write that on the blackboard a hundred times if it takes it to sink through to you. New Zealand is not different to the United States. It is a settler colony. The same things will happen here. We already have historical examples. We have the US as an example. What are you waiting for? We know what doesn't work. Let's start going to what does work. The other side of that, I think, is people oftentimes ask, does this person actually believe it? And I'm on your side, Kyle, and that I think it doesn't matter if David Seymour knows. It doesn't matter because you could look at articles from the 20s in the New York Times talking about like, Hitler is very cleverly using anti-Semitism as a way of gaining votes. Like, it doesn't matter whether or not he believes it or not, because the distinction doesn't matter ultimately when the material outcome for Maori for a lot of other people who are not, you know, the most protected class of people in this country are going to see the the heel of the boot of that, right? Increasingly, as if they don't already, as if a lot of us don't already as well, right? It's just going to get worse and worse and worse for that. And then there will be incitement, there will be hate crimes. We're going to see this stuff increase and we're already seeing Seymour joking about the Ministry of Pacific Peoples. I don't want us to forget that because... Because this is real and this really affects. Yeah, was people. that the charming thing that all these? Yeah. Oh, he's so funny. You um, know that? Do you know that the French, for example, love the cop? Did you guys know that? Wow. God, that's a put it in Family Guy funny one. moments compilation. <laughs> just, I'm just I'm trying to think like what does it take for the intelligentsia Juno uh, class to think that somebody's funny? Like, what is it? Like, zip it, sweetie. Right. Yeah, that's that's the level like I guess that we're working at, right? Like no one in parliament is funny. No. I'm sorry, like they're all, like they, by definition. They're like, just, yeah, they're just precluded from being allowed to be funny at that point. Like or, or charming. You you just should not be having that kind of social relationship with, with people in yeah. power. Uh, is, maybe that's yeah. an extreme view. I don't know. Maybe I'm a radical. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. if you if you're in media, if your job is to report on these people, you should be putting a fucking wall up between yeah. yourself and them. I think about how John Campbell sort of was fondly remembering when he first became a political reporter and he was, I think it was Jim Bolger wined and dined him. And he was like, it was really such a lovely guy. He took me out for dinner and showed me, told me what to expect. And I was like, does nobody understand how concerning it is that the first thing a politician does when a new reporter comes in is bribe them? Because that's how this operates. That's how this access works. And I did shitty student radio at Victoria University and it happened to me. I like interviewed David Cunliffe once and he was like, why don't you come down for lunch and like, I'll, I'll cover it for you and stuff. And I was like, no, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so for these people whose actual job it is, have better standards than a student fucking radio reporter. <laughs> and that's where we're going to end this episode because we are running late sorry <laughs> no don't be sorry fantastic anecdote uh thank you so much for joining me everybody we'll do a uh quick round the room thank you finley for joining us oh yeah sorry the round the room thing really confused me 
Yes, thank thank you for having me. Thank you, Simon. Uh, I'm on the podcast Go Han or Go Home, uh, which is where I take my friend who had never experienced any of Dragon Ball because they did not own a television as a child through the comic from start to finish. It is very wow. fun to find out what's weird and not, what's not weird. And um, it turns out having having gone along to some of these, uh, to at least one meetup that uh, one of 200 essentially has a Dragon Ball caucus, which is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh twitter's not opening for me so i think it's uh at the original mythros m-y-t-h-r-o-s right so you can find me on twitter there don't find me on blue sky it's all horny posting end of transmission and thank you philip thank you what a delight what an absolute delight how's how's january going guys i hope hopefully well i love that i love months (laughs) (laughs) i'm back in new zealand so badly And thank you to our audience. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll continue doing current events. Um, we'll continue getting angrier. I think I have a lot of capacity to be even more angry than I already am. I'm not even red in the face after this. Um, my eyes are still not bloodshot, and I'm not frothing at the mouth. So plenty of room. Plenty of room for growth. I think I. I think I have COVID. Like. Uh, not like not ironically i'm actually sick and people that i know that i was with in america have covid so we're (laughs) casting through it baby (laughs) and because we believe because we're we're true believers in uh media and political critique so share this around give us five stars leave us a comment um and support independent media and uh political activism uh wherever you may be that's been another week of one of 200 we have so much for you next week um i'm hoping to record uh two or three times at least uh and that might increase i don't know uh so catch us then see you later if artifices are then i'm living a pointless slide but i'm learning all your lessons fucking politics there's no distinction the words are now it's paid with good intentions and i'll admit that i'm at a loss for what to say when they close Amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain